0: you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and welcome to week 25 of our study through the book of Romans. I believe we have 13 or so more left, but as we stated already in our study, the book of Romans can be divided into four sections. Section 1 is Romans 1 through Romans three twenty. that Presents the wrath of God. So Paul places all of humanity under God's wrath because all have sinned. Section two, Romans three, twenty-one, all the way through Romans um, 9, 39, that show the wrath, or excuse me, that show the wrath of God being eclipsed by the grace of God. So God's wrath being eclipsed by God's grace. Section 3, Romans 9 through 11 deal with the plan of God, God's plan for Israel, God's plan for the world. And then lastly, Section 4, Romans 12 through 16, which we start today, is all about the will of God. So all about God's will. It's, it's the practical part. So for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been giving us a list of God's blessings, what Paul calls the mercies of God. He's Think about all that God has done for us. He's forgiven us. He's declared us righteous. He's made us His children. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us promises like all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And he's given us so much more. For Paul even reminded us that he who did not spare even his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Everything that we need. So that's what God has done. Now, according to Paul, it's our turn. For the next five chapters, from Romans 12 to Romans 16... The Apostle Paul pivots and tells us what our response should be to all that God has done for us, that we should grow, that we should um, move forward in our advancement of knowing God and making him known. Just think about this, ultimately, ultimately human history as we know it is divided into two eras. B.C. and A.D. B.C. of course stands for before Christ. A.D. is the abbreviation of the Latin phrase Anno Domini, and it means in the year of our Lord, and it's used for uh, dates after the birth of Jesus. Now what we know, of course, is that non-Christian historians and archaeologists have started using B.C.E., before common era, and C.E., common era, um, as a way of moving Christ out of it. But here's the deal, those terms do not change the fact that history is classified in a beautiful way, is classified by what happened before Jesus came to the world and after he came to the world. And not not only is history classified that way, your life and my life is classified that way. There is what you were before you met Christ, B.C., And then there is what you have become since you met Christ, A.D. And let me just be very clear this morning. If you are what you have always been, if there has been no difference in your life, then have you really encountered Jesus? Now, the Apostle Paul would say, no, you haven't. There's no way you can encounter this Jesus and be the same. Or to put it in a different way, your A.D. should look different than your B.C., what your life is after Christ should look different than your life before Christ because get this Jesus always makes a difference. He always makes a difference. So I want us to jump in to the word today and I want us to encounter the personal and powerful call that Paul or God through Paul gives to the children of God for us to be living sacrifices. And this message today is not going to be easy. But oh, that God would allow us to be what he's called us to be for his glory. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read two verses today. Only two. You're not going to get out here any early, but still two verses today. So beginning at verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again, and Lord, speak to us, God, through your word. Help us to be, God, through your empowering what you have called us to be. Lord, we pray that our lives after you would look different than our lives before you. Because that is the testimony of Jesus, the difference you make. And Jesus, you always make the difference. Have your way. Speak, O God, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. J.B. Phillips, an amazing biblical scholar, has an outstanding and memorable translation of Romans 12, 1, and 2. It's on the screen, and here's how he translates Romans 12, 1, and 2. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable to him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Oh, may that be done in our lives. And what we're about to see is it all begins with the mercy of God. It all begins with his mercy. And then a presentation for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, meaning it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something, which reminds me of a story. There was a young man who won tickets to the Super Bowl, and of course he was understandably excited. However, his excitement lessened when he arrived at the game and realized that his seat was all the way up at the very top of the stadium. As the game started, this young man looked through his binoculars and saw an open seat right next to the field. So he raced down, and somehow he was able to go to that seat, and he approached the man who was sitting next to that empty seat, and he says, is this seat taken? To which the man replied, no. Of course, this young man surprised, says, how could someone give up a seat like this? And the older gentleman said, that's my wife's seat. We've been coming to the Super Bowl from the very first year we were married. But unfortunately, she has passed away. The young man looked at the gentleman and said, I am so sorry to hear that, but couldn't you find a, a friend or a family member to come with you? And the man, the older man, looked at this young man with a tear in his eye and said, I tried, I tried, but they're all at the funeral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that is not a picture of sacrifice. That is a picture of, of lunacy. Kenny, you'll be be using that one soon, I'm sure. But think about that. That is a picture of absolute um, idiocy. But if we are not careful, that is sometimes the way we live. We live for ourselves, get this, with no regard to sacrifice or commitment whatsoever. It has been said that the only, only thing that some professing Christians know about sacrifice is how to spell it. Some... The only thing that some professing Christians know about sacrifice is how to spell it. Now, I won't give you that test today, but that's what it's been said. And Paul is is kind of putting us in a place. He's using temple terminology here. So Paul is using this terminology of a worshiper at the temple who comes to the temple with an offering. Now, some offerings in the Old Testament were were sin offerings in which the worshiper was shedding the blood of an animal to atone for sin, to ask for forgiveness. But what we know is that Jesus is our sin offering. So that's not the picture that Paul is putting forth here. A second kind of offering in the Old Testament was the whole burnt offering. It was an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of consecration, in which a valuable animal from the flock, a very expensive offering, it had to be holy and without blemish, and this burnt offering was always burnt totally, and it represented complete consecration and devotion to God. So to be a living sacrifice is to be always at God's disposal. It means to be willing to obey God in anything that He says in any area of my life and to to be willing to thank God for anything that He allows in any area of my life. Let me say that again, and this time I actually want you to amen it. It means to be willing to obey God in anything He says in any area of my life and to be willing to thank Him for anything He sends into any area of my life. Which leads us today to three truths from these two verses. Three things that being a living sacrifice involves, according to Paul. First is this. Being a living sacrifice involves the presentation of our bodies. It involves the presentation of our bodies. Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Again, Philip says, with eyes wide open to God's mercies. Again, think about all the mercies of God that Paul has already laid before us. Justification from guilt and the penalty of sin. Placed under grace instead of the law. The Holy Spirit of God within us. Promise of help in affliction. Confidence of coming glory. Confidence that we will not be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Confidence in God's continued faithfulness. And Paul says, because of the mercies of God, present your bodies. The word present there is a priestly word. It's a Levitical word. It's a word that you find in the book of Leviticus, which shows us what the priests are supposed to do. It's a word that's used of a priest in the Old Testament who would present an animal to be sacrificed in the altar. He would take the animal. He would lay hands on the animal and confess guilt. He would bring the animal to its death and then consume the animal on an altar. It's a very appropriate word, present our bodies, because in 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy priesthood, meaning we're now the priest making the offering. But now the offering is us. The offering is ourselves. And then Paul says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. So those who read this in, in Paul's day knew that when sacrifices were brought to the temple, when the priests offered them as sacrifices, they were never living. They were always dead that's the kind of the whole point but here it's not dead sacrifice it's a living sacrifice which is really an oxymoron but Paul says it's a reasonable request it means get this Christian that we are to climb on God's altar and we are to stay there we climb on God's altar and we stay there yet there is a problem with living sacrifices as opposed to dead ones Living sacrifices have a tendency to sneak off the altar. Living sacrifices have a tendency when things get tough to creep off the altar. Living sacrifices have a tendency when God doesn't give us our way, we huff and puff and walk away. Living sacrifices have a tendency to leave the very place that God wants us to be. So for us we stay alive which means that every single day we must reoffer our bodies to God. Amen. And there are two living sacrifices in the Bible that help us understand this picture. The first is Isaac in Genesis 22, and the second of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Isaac, he willingly put himself on the altar. He would have died in obedience to God's will, but the Lord sent sent a ram in his place. But what we know is that Isaac died just the same. He died to himself. He willingly yielded himself to the will of God. And when Isaac got off the altar, he was literally a living sacrifice to the glory of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ The perfect illustration of a living sacrifice. He died. He rose for our justification. He forever bears the marks of a slain lamb according to Revelation 5. Yet he is literally our living sacrifice. He is the one who died and is alive forevermore. So think about the Old Testament. God has not only commanded the gift. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Different sacrifices for different things. Now God demands not just the gift. He demands the giver. God demands now the giver. All of us. All that we have been. All that we ever will be. And now here's what I want us to see. Turn with me real quick to Romans chapter 3. In Romans 3, we are told by Paul that our bodies used to be the base of operations for the enemy. So your body used to be used not for God's good, but for the enemy's bad. In Romans 3, beginning at verse 12, after Paul says, None is righteous, no, not one. That picture that we know is absolutely true. Paul says in verse 12, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now watch this. Watch what Paul does with the parts of the body. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Paul is basically showing us here that human depravity is expressed through the human body. And in the same way, just like you allowed your body to be used for evil, Paul is saying now allow your body to be used for God's best good. Allow God to make you to have feet that walk in God's paths, to have lips that speak His truth, to have hands that reach out and help in God's name, that have ears that listen to breaking hearts with the heart of Christ, to have mouths that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bring your body to him even now and say, Lord, here are my hands. Lord, here are my eyes. Here is my mouth. Here are my ears. Here is my feet. Lord, here is my life. Lord, here is my life. Let me make a statement here. And it might sound weird at first, but a living sacrifice is much more costly than a dead one. Because a dead one dies once, a living sacrifice dies every day. You have to die to yourself every single day. Every day that God gives you. So being a living sacrifice involves the presentation of our bodies. But then secondly, being a living sacrifice involves the transformation of our minds. The transformation of our minds. So Paul says now in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. God's continual call in both the Old and New Testament is for His people to not conform to this world, to not adopt the external and the fleeting thoughts and beliefs of this world. Are you aware that the world has a mold that it wants to squeeze you into? There is a mold that the world is trying to squeeze us into. The world wants us to think like it does, act like it does, desire the same things that it does. That's what the world wants. The world wants for the child of God, for the one who professes God to act just like they do. And let me just give you a sad presentation. Many do. Many do. Many who proclaim the name of Christ act no differently than the person who says, I want nothing to do with Christ. And then Paul says this, not only do not be conformed, but... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So God puts conforming to the world and being transformed by the renewal of your mind in total opposition. So there is no gray area here. Either your mind is being one to the kingdom of God or your mind is being lost to the world. Let me say it again. Either your mind is being one to the kingdom of God or your mind is being lost to to the world and we have to understand that our mind is the battleground on which the war of our emotions our purpose our effectiveness the fullness of life is won or lost It's your mind that's attacked every day by the enemy. It's your mind that the world is trying to influence for its own benefit. And it's your mind that the Lord desires to renew daily in order that you might have an abundant relationship with Him. So if the mind is the battleground, and the Word of God says it is, then how do you come out a winner? How do you come out victorious over Satan and his schemes and all that the world is trying to do? And this is the beautiful answer because God, God, because of his incredible love for us, has given us his spirit and has given us his word. He's given us the ability to renew our minds to the truth of how He sees us and how He feels about us, the truth of who we really are in Him. Every day we have a chance to experience the much-needed renewal of our emotions, perspectives, beliefs, ultimately our mind. Every day God longs to speak to us the truth of our identity through his word and through his spirit to us every day. You might be saying, well, I didn't pick up on the how. In case you missed it, our minds are renewed through this book, through the word of God, because our way of thinking must be underneath, must submit to God's way of thinking. And what God would have for us. So think about this. While being conformed to the world starts on the outside and infects the inner person, being transformed begins in the inside. And it affects our actions, our words, our attitudes, meaning it changes who we are so that we are not the same. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away, and we even went to the funeral. And the new has come this this change happens as the holy spirit lives in us to make us more like jesus christ here's the question are you at this moment are you being conformed to the image of this world the thoughts of this world the patterns of this world or are you being transformed into the image of christ where are we at in this moment So being a living sacrifice involves the presentation of our bodies, the transformation of our minds, and then third, it involves the apprehension of our will. The apprehension of our will. So the very last part of verse 2, Paul says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, God not only wants you to know His will, He wants you to do His will. But let me say this, God's will is not always safe, but it's always best. It's not always safe, but it's always best. One of the most frequent requests that I get as a pastor is, how can I know the will of God? How can I know what God wants me to do? I get that over and over again as if somehow God has hidden His will and our job is to somehow find it. And I want to pause for a second and think about contemporary, modern, even idolatrous ways or methods that sometimes we, we use to try to discover God's will. There's the, first of all, the pick your promise method. And the method says, okay, I I don't know what to do, so I'm going to pick up my Bible probably for the first time in a long time and I'm going to put my finger on the verse and that's what God's telling me to do. So we'll get our Bible and we'll open it up and we'll go boom! And we'll say, on the inside around each of the four courts uh, was a row of masonry. Well, that that, that doesn't apply to me at all. So then we do another one. And every province where the king's command and his decree, no, that can't apply to me either. And then we um, do another one. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Well, that doesn't apply to me either. And so we keep doing it until we find a verse that we like, and then we go, that actually works. This is amazing. The problem with that is context, 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 and context. It is the absolute problem. Be careful to approach the word of God in that way. This isn't a, you get to pick your own promise book. This is a book where God has given us his promises, and we have to come to him on his terms, not our own. The second method is the astonishing miracle method, where we say, God, I need you to speak to me audibly. God, could you please write your will in the sky? God, can you give me a burning yet non-burning bush? Yet here's the problem with that. How many of you have ever experienced a burning yet non-burning bush? How many of you have ever had any of those experiences? Those aren't the normal way for God to, meet, to move and to speak. Then there's the cast your fleece method. And, of course, now we're going with well, that's the biblical one, right? That's, now we have one. Gideon asked God for a sign two different times, but the problem here is twofold. First of all, not every story in Scripture is intended um, for our imitation. Second, the whole point of the story of Gideon is showing us Gideon's lack of faith after God promised to do something. So God promised what he was going to do, and Gideon just refused to believe it. So the Bible's not saying, go and do that. The Bible's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. If God has said it in his word, God is under no obligation whatsoever to continue to give us signs. His word is enough. His word is enough. The last method that sometimes we use is the stand in the doorway method. So we stand and we look for doors to open and close so that we can know God's will. Well here's the problem. In 1 Corinthians 16:9, Paul says this, "A wide door for effective ministry has opened before me, and there are many adversaries there." So Paul sees this great door open and he walks through and he meets these guys standing with sticks and they're throwing stones at him. And let's just be honest for a second. In that moment, how would we interpret the will of God? Most of us in this room would turn around, we walk out the door, we slam the door and we go, that's not God's will. No way, that's God's will. And that's, Paul was saying, it's exactly God's will. God opened a door for me. Even though there's adversaries there, it is God's will by which we need to see this. Or you need to hear this today. Not everything that seems easy is God's will. And not everything that seems difficult is not God's will. Sometimes God will ask us to do easy things and praise God that God lets us do that. But most of the time God will give us hard things. And when we look at all these methods, we see that most of these methods are just shortcuts to really knowing God. Just knowing, God, what if God has designed his will so that as we seek him through his word, by his spirit, as we know him, as we abide in him, he shapes us and through this, pro- this process, he enables us to know his will and to do his will. What if? And that's not just what if, that's exactly how it happens. That's exactly how it works. So now as we're closing out this morning, please notice Something about God's will, maybe something that we've never noticed before. At the end of verse 2, Paul says God's will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Think about those adjectives. God's will is good. The will of God is always good. It's not always fun. It doesn't always feel good. In fact, there's probably some in this room today. You're wondering right now why God is currently allowing you to go through Something as painful, as difficult as you're having to go through. For you right now, things aren't good and they don't feel good. What do you do with that? And what I would say to that is, based on the authority of this word, don't give up. Just hold on. It will be good. For that is God's good promise to you. He will make it good. He will. Then his will is acceptable. The NIV says pleasing. But think about this. God only accepts what he wills because it pleases him. So God only accepts that which is his will. God never accepts what's not his will. We don't do things and bring them to God, and God said, well, I like my plan better, but I'll accept yours. Now, that's not the way God works. God only accepts his will because it pleases him. But here's the deal. When we please him, it satisfies us. When we please him, it satisfies us. And then the third thing, God's will is perfect. And that means, in that version, it means mature. God's will is good. It's pleasing. And it will mature you. It will grow you. You will grow inside the will of God. And you will wither away outside the will of God. Inside God's will, you will grow. Outside his will, you will wither. My question this morning is, in which direction is your life changing in this moment? Are you being squeezed into the mold of this world? Or are you being shaped into God's will? Where is the change happening? What are you more like, the world or the word? How many of you remember in here, remember Sir Isaac Newton? I'm not saying that you knew him personally, so that's not what I'm saying, um, but you remember learning about Sir Isaac Newton. Most of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. No, I'm not. A few of you are like, yeah, I, knew- I went to school with him. But Sir Isaac Newton, um, you don't know him personally. We learned about him in school, but remember the, the laws of motion that he is famous for. I want to state the first law of motion. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed Upon it now listen to that again in terms of what we just shared in our text everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it which beg the question what forces are impressing you the most We live in a world with its own forces, its own values, its own messages always pressing upon us. That's why we need the balancing pressure of a renewed mind, of presented bodies, living out the will of God by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That is what we need. Let me just state it again. We must understand that the will of God is not a curiosity that we study. It's a command that we obey. The will of God is a command that we obey. And maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're you're saying, well, I still wish I could know God's will. Let me tell you how you can know God's will. If you want to know God's will, then obey what God is currently telling you to do. And if you do so, that is his will. But maybe you're here and you go, well, God's not really telling me something right now. Let me tell you why. Because God told you something maybe six months ago, maybe three years ago, maybe five years ago, and you said no. And God stopped speaking to you. And you've been going through the motions ever since. Let me tell you what you need to do. Go back to what God told you to do and do it. And do it. God doesn't let you off the hook. God doesn't say, oh, if you don't want to, oh, it's okay. You don't have to do it. That's fine. I'll come up with something better for you. No, what God gives you is His best for you in the first place. So do what God's called you, even if you don't like it. For some of us, let me tell you where it starts: forgiving people. Some of us, some of us, we are so ate up with absolute anger and hatred. And guess what? The person that we hate, they're doing good. But we're miserable. And we're making everybody around us miserable because we refuse to forgive. And the Bible says, how dare you say you're a child of God, forgiven by God, and yet you refuse to forgive them? When you did that to Jesus, and yet that person did something so minimal to you, and you refuse to forgive them, who do you think you are? There are so many things, brothers and sisters, if we are not careful, we carry in disobedience, and God just says, have it your way. But if we really want the will of God, obey. Obey. And then the next thing, obey. And obey the next and the next. And we will find ourselves in God's will right in the middle. And there is no sweeter place to be than inside God's will. And speaking from experience, there's no more miserable place to be than outside His will. Oh, that we would choose His will. We have in this moment a choice of conformity. Will we conform to this world or will we let God conform us to His Son? Oh, that we would choose God's way and God's path for his ultimate good, for our lives, for our family's life, and for the life of this, his church. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward, Brother Frank Ford, and enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say, if God is telling you to do something, please do it. Here's the deal. If we can't obey God in a church filled with followers of Christ, we'll never be able to obey him outside of here. If this isn't a place where we can easily obey Him, we're going to have a hard time obeying Him in difficult places. So, oh, if God's telling you to do something today, that we would do it for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We praise You. We rejoice in You. We thank You, God, that You have made a way. We thank You for Your mercies, Your grace, all that You have done for us in spite of those, or in light of those mercies. In light of them, Lord, we present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. We want to place ourselves on your altar, and God, help us to stay there. When times get tough, help us to stay there. When circumstances get difficult, help us to stay there and trust you enough. To trust you. Lord, I just pray that you would finish this message today in a way that brings you glory and help us, God, as your people to obey what we know you're telling us to do. Sometimes, God, we get so caught up in the things that you haven't revealed and the things that we don't know and we refuse to obey what's right in front of us. Lord, help us to start there with what's right in front of us. And everything else, God, will make sense in its perfect timing. Lord, help us to begin with obedience to you.